Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teals, the Continuing Church of God. And I want to talk about the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, we have a booklet that I've held up in many sermons called The Gospel of the Kingdom of God. And before I get started, I simply say something I said before. This booklet's available at the ccog.org website. As a matter of fact, it's on there over 100 in over 100 different languages. So if English is not your preferred language, or you know people who speak other languages or read other languages, I should say, because it's not an audio version in uh, any, any of the languages I'm aware of yet, uh, it's available. And a lot of people don't know much about the kingdom of God, even though it's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I'd like to start by going into uh, the Old Testament, the, the book of Daniel, while you're going there, let me just comment that you know Jesus' first and last recorded sermon, by the way, had to do with proclaiming good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And it's something that the Jews in Jesus' time knew about. And they knew about it because of things such as Daniel chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 40. And I'll be reading uh, from the uh, New King James Version of the Bible, probably pretty close to exclusively today. Anyway, starting... Daniel 2, verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, insomuch as iron breaks into pieces and shatters everything, like iron that crushes. That kingdom will break into pieces and crush all the others. And that's actually a reference to the Roman kingdom, the ancient Roman kingdom, and the more modern one, getting in verse 41. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. This is talking about the European power that's uh, in the process of rising up. You know, a lot of people say, there's no way Europe can get together. First of all, they have different languages. I mentioned foreign la many languages, so they have different languages, different cultures. They don't trust each other, etc., etc. And some of them are stronger militarily. Some are stronger economically. Uh, some uh, believe in thrift. Some believe more in debt. And the Bible's warning. It says, saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. The kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of iron shall be in it. Okay, it looks like it's, there's no way this, these disorganized people can get together. You know, you can look at certain things going on over there and say, you know, they're bureaucrats. According to various reports, they're not always telling people the truth. They do all kinds of things behind the scenes. Things fail a lot. You know, there's no way these people can do anything. But just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, and the toes of the feet were partly of iron, partly of clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly fragile. Now this isn't God's kingdom, but these people who put it together are going to more or less say it is. You know, when Adolf Hitler was out there, he was going to bring in the Third Reich, which is supposed to be a millennial reign. It was a false prophecy. But this will happen again. Now they probably will be careful about calling it the Fourth Reich. All right? But there's actually people in Germany who want to actually put in a Fourth Reich. And every now and then in the German press they'll report about it. Usually they're warning against it. Anyway, verse 43. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another as iron doesn't mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, God will set up a kingdom 
which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break into pieces, consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Now that is a reference to the coming kingdom of God. So, in the book of Daniel, we see a prophecy. Yes, what's going to happen is that there will be a power that will rise up. Yet, it's not going to make it. It will be replaced. If you go to Daniel chapter 7, in verse 18, there's a few other things we can see about this particular kingdom. It says, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So it was well known that back in the Old Testament times, the kingdom of God was going to be set up. Now, if you're in Daniel 7, let's go down a couple of verses. Verse 21. Daniel says, I was watching, and the same horror was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Now we know, according to the book of Revelation, that the beast power is going to persecute the saints for a time, time and a half a time, for 42 months. It says in Revelation 13. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. <laughs> And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So we see in the Old Testament, God's people are called saints. There's going to be a kingdom. They're going to possess that kingdom. Now I want to go to Revelation chapter 17. You know, from Daniel, it's been known the time's going to come when the kingdom of God is going to destroy the kingdoms of this world and God's kingdom will last. And we also see that the saints are going to have a part in receiving this kingdom. So obviously, if we're at the time of the end, which I believe we are, many portions of Daniel's prophecies are for our time. Now, Revelation 17, verse 12, says, The ten horns which you see are the ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. Now we're not 100% sure what that means, but we're relatively certain that this means there's probably going to be some type of reorganization in Europe in this first part. As far as the ten kings who have no kingdom as of yet, there's a couple of possibilities. One is these could be people who are not leaders now who become leaders later. I tend to think that perhaps over... In Europe, they will, when they reorganize, they'll probably put some regions together. Like perhaps the Benelux nations together. Maybe Germany will be separate or do some other type of thing. But notice they're going to receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. And these are of one mind, and they'll give power and authority to the beast. So we're seeing a couple of reorganizations going on here. Now, within Europe, in the European Union, they continually call for various reorganizations. They haven't gotten to the point they're going to take this one yet. Okay? Verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. The late pastor general of the old Worldwide Church of God, Herbert W. Armstrong, used to say, I read this book and I read the end, in the end, we win. And that's what it says here. Another place, again, it also said that in uh, Daniel. So we see this both in the 
Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, what's this kingdom going to be like? You can go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, starting verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, which is what everybody else does, basically. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Things are going to change. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Which, by the way, is the front, what's on the front cover of our booklet. Okay, that's why we have that there. The Bible says, The leopard shall lie down with a young goat, the calf and the young lion, and a fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by cobra's hole. Now who would let their kids play by a snake's hole like that now? Nobody. Nobody in their right mind anyway. Unless they're on drugs or something. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. True knowledge will be everywhere. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles will seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. I tend to call this the first phase of the kingdom of God, because this is a time where it's a physical time, and at a later time, the New Jerusalem, the holy city, will come down from heaven. But this physical time is going to last a thousand years. In Isaiah uh, confirmed the physical aspect of this. If you're still in Isaiah, we're going to go Isaiah 11, verse 11. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of the people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He shall set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together Together, the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now we believe that some of those people will be slaves before this happens. And the, also the envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Judah, or the modern nation of Israel, has lots and lots of adversaries. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab. And the people of Ammon shall obey them. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt with his mighty wind. He will shake his fist over the river and strike it into seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. There will be a highway for the remnant of the people who will be left. 
from Assyria. As it was for Israel the day they came up from the land of Egypt. Furthermore, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 2. Give me one minute to get there. So it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his past. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's certainly not this age. Down to verse 11 of Isaiah 2. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of man shall be bowed down. The Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Yes, it will be a utopian time of peace on this earth. Ultimately, this will be forever with Jesus ruling. Based on various scriptures, such as uh, Psalm 90, verse 4, 92, verse 1, Isaiah 2, verse 11, uh, Hosea 6, 2. Because of that, the Jewish Talmud, by the way, teaches us this will last a thousand years. But of course, we don't have to rely on the Jewish Talmud because we know in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, first six verses, talk about it's also lasting a thousand years. In Isaiah, I want to go to Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and a government will be on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now notice that Isaiah says Jesus is going to come and establish a kingdom with a government. While many who profess Christianity quote this passage, especially in December of every year, they tend to overlook the fact it's prophesying, in fact, more than Jesus was going to be born. The Bible shows that the kingdom of God has a government with laws over subjects, and Jesus is going to be over it. Uh, Isaiah and Daniel and others have prophesied it. Now, it's not just them. I want to go to uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel was inspired to write that those of the tribes of Israel, and not just the Jews, who were scattered during the time of the Great Tribulation, be gathered together in the Millennial Kingdom, which we saw also from Isaiah. Ezekiel 11, starting in verse 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries which you've been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And they will go there, and they will take away all its detestable things and all its abominations from there. And we know, by the way, that the abomination of desolation is supposed to be set up over there. So it's one of the things that will be removed. 
Then I'll give them one heart, and I'll put a new spirit within them, and take away the, out the stony heart of their flesh, and give them out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. Again, it will do God's law. You know, one of the things about Protestantism, at least my impression of it, is they believe that this this earth is a bad place because it's physical. So when they all become spirit beings, they believe that when they go to heaven, because it's in heaven, everything will be great. Well, that overlooks a couple different things. First of all, Lucifer was a great spirit being, had everything, still caused problems. Because many of them do not want to keep God's laws now. They do not understand how this will work to bring about peace and prosperity upon the world. But this is prophesied to happen. If people would obey God's laws, things would be much better now. But they don't, either don't believe they need to do it, or the reason around most of them. And they just don't think that that's, that's necessary. Again, they're overlooking a reality. And one of the things about physical laws and stuff that we keep, let me assure you, there are great spiritual principles behind not just the Ten Commandments, but specifically the Ten Commandments, uh, that will have applicability throughout eternity. Anyway, going down to uh, this, they'll, and they'll do them, and they'll should be my people, and that will be their God. Verse 21, But for those whose hearts follow the desire of their detestable things and their abominations, I'll recompense their deeds upon their heads, says the Lord God. And we're going to put an end to that. Anyway, the descendants of the tribes of Israel will no longer be scattered, but they will obey God's statutes and stop eating abominable things. Now I want to go to the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm uh, 22. Psalm 22, starting verse 27. It says... All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Again, in the Old Testament. Now the next time we're going to go to Psalm 45. In the Old Testament we repeatedly see there was a kingdom that was prophesied to come. Psalm 45 verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. Now let's go to Psalm 145. I'll start with verse 10. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and of the talk of your power. People are going to be amazed about this kingdom. And the Feast of Tabernacles is just a small half of a glimpse behind a clouded mirror of what it's going to be like. Talk, speak the glory of your kingdom and the talk of your power. To make known to the sons of men His mighty acts and the glorious majesty of His kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. Oh, that's what I did. I skipped over Psalm 96. I know why I did that, because I was going to go to 1 Chronicles 16, which says the same kind of thing, but let's go to Psalm 96, uh, verse 1. 
Psalm 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Good news, the gospel. Good news. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among the people. Now, many people act like the gospel is just the good news about the fact that Jesus came. And the reality, however, is that Jesus' followers did teach the gospel of the kingdom of God. I want to go to the book of Acts. Acts 19. Read verse 8. Let's talk about uh, Paul. He went into the synagogue spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. And he also made a comment, if you're in Acts 19, let's go to Acts 20. Verse 25. Paul says, And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I've been gone preaching the kingdom of God. Now let's go to Acts 28. And we'll start with verse 23. So when they had appointed a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained, this again about Paul, and soundly testified of the kingdom of God persuading them concerning Jesus for both the law and the prophets. Now we have a free book called Proof Jesus is the Messiah. And in that book, we go through a couple hundred scriptures from the Old Testament that the New Testament shows Jesus fulfilled. The Apostle Paul was doing the same thing. Except they had scrolls, and that's a little more difficult than what we have with books. It's actually easier with the books that we have than what they used to do. But... Also back then, uh, at least amongst uh, those of the, uh, of the Jews, they actually knew the, New, the Old Testament fairly well. Remember, they didn't have uh, iPads, uh, smartphones, computers, etc. And uh, so they uh, spent a lot of time uh, reading or understanding the, uh, the law. Anyway, Paul says he did this from morning till evening, verse 31, Preaching the gospel, excuse me, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So, the kingdom of God was not just about Jesus, but of course, he's a major part of it. Now, I'm going to go to 1 Thessalonians 2. And 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. Paul also called it the gospel of God, but still the gospel of the kingdom of God. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, We preach to you the gospel of God. Go down to verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He also called it the gospel of Christ. Now I want to go to... uh, First, Second Thessalonians one, Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse six. We'll cut in the middle of verse six here. Second Thessalonians this time. 
Because Paul said the gospel included obeying Jesus, his return, and God's judgment. Second Thessalonians 1, verse 6, cutting in there, God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We again see that people are supposed to obey something we talked about in the previous two sermons here at the Feast of Tabernacles. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed you don't have to go there but Hebrews 12 verse 28 says we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken now the world's kingdoms are on the foundation of sand at best <laughs> they're going to be eliminated now I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15. Because Paul specifically confirmed that one doesn't fully enter the kingdom of God as a mortal human being. Now, yes, there will be physical people who will survive the tribulation. As far as Christians, 1 Corinthians 15, starting verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's not some church headquartered in uh, Southern Europe <laughs> at this time. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, be dead, but we shall be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. If you're in 1 Corinthians 15, let's back up to verse 20. Paul writes, But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ also be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end when he, that's Jesus, delivers the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. It doesn't mean his own authority and power, but he means that of the kings of this world here. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. If you go back a few chapters, let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. Paul taught that the unrighteous, the commandment breakers, are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, starting verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Right now we've got a media that wants to deceive us on a lot of things, including some of the things I'm about to read here. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. 
There's a few countries, I don't want you to say this, and every now and then it, uh, this goes up in the internet in some countries that gets, that gets pulled down. They don't want people to know this. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, start in verse uh, 19. The Apostle Paul wrote, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness. I want to stop at the uncleanness one for just a moment. Uh, many of you are part of the old uh, Worldwide Church of God. And they started to make various claims about things that were or were not in the Bible. And they said the New Testament didn't talk about certain things. Well, Uncleanness, by the way, is one of the things that was talked about uh, in the New Testament in several places. Uh, they pick and choose, and they ended up becoming Protestant, uh, which we in the continuing Church of God are not. Now, I know uh, a lot of uh, Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox want to claim that we are Protestant or some type of Protestant sect, but that's simply not true. Uh, we have one or two free books that we would suggest anybody... Uh, look into regarding that. One is called Hope of Salvation, How the Continuing Church of God Differs from Protestantism. And that book is available free online at www.ccog.org. This explains why we do not believe that Protestants are what they claim to be. There is no early Christian movement that resembles modern Protestantism. And we don't believe that the Protestants practice sola scriptura. And that particular book which is free, quotes many, many scriptures, mostly from Protestant translations, and has history confirmed or written often by Protestant scholars that shows they're not who they say they are. On the other hand, we also have another book called uh, Belief's Original Catholic Church, where we document, this time using mostly quotations from Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox translations of the Bible, why we are faithful. We also quote people they call saints, sometimes they call them early fathers, but they usually consider them saints as well, who held the beliefs that we in the continuing church of God hold to this day. Uh, but many people just want to be dismissive. I've read a couple of things. One thing about myself, actually, on the Eastern Orthodox, and this was like 10 years ago, okay? Someone, some Eastern Orthodox person wrote something online about me and said they went to the website. It's not possible, they said, one person could have written all this. And, um, of course, those of you who are with us realize that uh, we've written a lot more since then. <laughs> a lot, lot more. Anyway, getting back to the works of the flesh, this also includes uh, lewdness, idolatry, uh, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which I tell you before, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice the, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore, we are not part of, by the way, the interfaith movement, who basically says all, uh, all religions are good and they all will lead to... Uh, uh, heaven or whatever it is they teach. Uh, the idolatry listed here and a bunch of other things associated with some of the other faiths. And uh, 
And uh, you don't have to go there, but basically the same thing is said by Paul in Ephesians 5.5. 5. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So this is over and over again. The New Testament is very clear. God has standards, and He demands repentance from sin to enter His kingdom. Let's go to uh, Galatians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul warned that some would not teach Jesus' gospel as the answer, but they would teach some other version. Galatians 1, starting in verse uh, 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. And this age has not gotten less evil at uh, this time. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So even during the Apostle Paul's time, a different gospel was being taught by some, which is not another, but there are some who will trouble you who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach another gospel to you, other than we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And, as we said before, and I'll say now again, if anyone preaches to you another gospel other than you've received, let him be accursed. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Starting in verse 3. But I fear, lest somehow, as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we haven't preached, or another, a different gospel, which you've not received, or a different gospel which you've not accepted, you may well put up with it. So he was having, seeing there were problems in the church back then. There were people who thought that should be different. What was the other or different, actually, false gospel? Well, false gospels got different parts. In general, the false gospel basically says you don't really have to obey God and really strive to change. Oh, you have to do a few things. If you're a drunkard, you know, don't, don't do that anymore. Try not to do that. You shouldn't be going around committing adultery. But basically, it tends to be selfishly oriented. You know, the serpent beguiled Eve to fall for a false gospel nearly 6,000 years ago. And since that time, humans have basically believed we know better than God. And we should decide good and evil for ourselves. You know, even after Jesus came, his name was attached to a bunch of false gospels. And this has been continuing and will continue into the time of the final Antichrist. Now back in the Apostle Paul's time, the false gospel was essentially a mixture of uh, a Gnostic and mystic myth of truth and error. And what's interesting is that even though the Greco-Romans know this, and they had a guy from Alexandria who popped up about 100 years later by the name of Clement, who they say was a Gnostic or somewhat, they seem to think, well, Gnosticism was wrong, but we can take all these teachings that the Gnostics had or modify them, and it was still okay. It's bizarre. 
Anyway, basically the Gnostics believed that basically you need just special knowledge to get special spiritual insight, including salvation. And that's basically what you needed. It's kind of a mystery. And they said basically what you did with your flesh didn't really matter. Okay, so it was all right to sin. It, was, it didn't matter because uh, you're covered by the blood of Jesus and it doesn't make any difference. Uh, so they didn't see any purpose in things like keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. And one such leader would have been Simon Magus that we read about in Acts chapter 8. Now speaking of Acts 8, we're going to go to Acts 8, but I'm not going to talk about Simon Magus. Uh, read a couple of verses from Acts 8. While you're going there, you know, the, the modern false gospel is that humanity can get all the religions together and all the people together and all agree on certain principles and let the government control everything and uh, redistribute wealth and do this and do education and have one way and that's the solution. Well, one way is the solution, but it's a solution that they keep rebelling against. It's in his book. Anyway, Acts 8, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. Going down to verse 12. They believed Philip, and he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, of course he preached to them about Jesus. He was part of it. He is part of it. But it's not easy to be in the kingdom of God, according to Jesus. Let's go to Luke chapter uh, 18. Luke chapter 18, starting verse 24. And when Jesus saw that he became saw that he became very sorrowful, somebody wanted to know about getting the kingdom. And the guy, Jesus told the guy to give up his wealth. He said, "How hard is it for those who have uh, riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to the kingdom of God." And those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, these things which are impossible for men are possible with God. So yes, even though things may look impossible for you, it's possible with God. Acts 14.22 states, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Now I'd like to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, one to go into that in a little more depth about some of these tribulations. Second Thessalonians chapter one, starting in verse three. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it's fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgments of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. So yes, um, sometimes we suffer directly for the kingdom of God and sometimes uh, it's indirect. What do I mean by that? You could be uh, persecuted, lose a job or something because you want to obey God. That's on the more direct side. Uh, indirect side might be uh, health issues uh, and other problems that you may have. In verse 6, since it's a righteous thing with, with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you 
and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Yes, there will be an end to suffering. Yes, things will be better. So, because of the difficulties right now in this life, that's why only some are called and chosen in this age to become part of it. And we've got a, another booklet called Is God Calling You? Also available at ccog.org. By the way, we have a lot of books or booklets there. You go to the literature tab under the ccog.org website. You can see the books. They're all. You'll see the covers of them all. There'll be a link, and they're free. We don't ask for your email address. We don't do anything. They're there, free, free, if you want to read them and study and check out what we teach with your Bible. But others are going to be called later. And we learn from Isaiah, Isaiah 29, verse 24, you don't have to go there, that those who erred in spirit will come to understanding, and those who complain will learn doctrine. So God has a plan for everyone. Now let's go to, to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. The Apostle Peter also taught the kingdom of God. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. 2 Peter 1, starting verse 10. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now sometimes it's really hard and we feel like we're stumbling and some... But notice it. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And why do uh, Christians tend to have more issues for certain things than you would think we would have? Well, that Peter answers that in 1 Peter 4.17. Most of you are pretty familiar with this, but I'll read it again. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what shall be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now in 1 John chapter 4, a couple of places, John writes that God is love. And, and John in 1 John 1, actually not 1 John, the gospel of John, 1, 1 and 1, 14, that Jesus is God. The kingdom of God is going to have a king who is love and whose laws support love, not hate. Now let's go to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 11. Verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now I want to go to the book of Mark, Mark's Gospel. I alluded to this before, but I wanted to go there again. Let's go to uh, Mark chapter 1 and read what some of you probably suspect I'm going to read. To quote Jesus on this, Mark uh, 1, starting in uh, verse 14. Now after John, that's John the Baptist, was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, the time is, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Jesus is telling people, the kingdom of God will be established. 
And they had heard of this kingdom before because of uh, the scriptures I was reading from the, from the Old Testament. Now I want to go back to Revelation. This time I want to go to Revelation 19. Read something there. Revelation 19 in verse 16. Again, it's a reference to Jesus. And it says, And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, will he be the only one who's going to reign in this kingdom? No. I alluded to this before, but let's go to uh, Revelation 20. Revelation 20, starting in verse 4. And I saw the thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Now, this has happened throughout history, but it's going to happen again. Who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now I want to interject something here. There are a couple of people who claim to be uh, Church of God leaders who I question their uh, conversion. And they teach that uh, the Laodiceans are just absolutely despicable, horrible people, and they're always horrible and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus didn't quite say that. He does say that they need to change or he'll vomit them out of their mouth. But the Laodiceans will not be going to uh, the place of, uh, in the wilderness that we read about in Revelation chapter uh, 12, uh, uh, 14 to 17. And I believe that the Laodiceans... Uh, who don't get immediately bombed or killed when uh, World War III begins, or is happening, uh, they're going to become pretty zealous. Because you notice, there are people who are going to be beheaded. Okay? These are probably people who were laid to see it. Uh, there might be some from Sardis, maybe some from Thyatira during this time. But the Laodiceans then are not really going to be lukewarm. Okay? They, they, they're, they're going to have to make a decision. Now, in my opinion, as you know, they'll make the wrong decision prior to the time it's time to flee. Uh, Laodiceans, in my view, don't seem to understand how God works, don't accept, for example, that uh, things such as prophesied in Acts 2, 17, and 18 will take place. But again, once the beast is reigning, they, some of them will stand up and do the right thing, uh, which sadly will involve... Uh, persecution and beheading. Now, go back to verse 6 of Revelation 20. Blessed is ho and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. You know, the Bible is very clear. The true Christians are going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now, because the kingdom will last forever, as we read in Revelation 11:15, but this reign is only mentioned for a thousand years. This is why I tend to refer to this as the first phase of the kingdom of God, the physical millennial phase, as opposed to the final, more spiritual phase. 
Now there's a few events that are listed in the book of Revelation that occur between the millennial and final phases of the kingdom of God. So let's go to uh, Revelation 20. I'm going to go to verse 7. We see when a thousand years have expired, Satan is going to be released from his prison. He's going to go out to deceive the nations no longer. He's going to go well, see, he's going to go out to deceive the nations from the four corners of the earth. Okay, eventually he won't be doing that. Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle whose numbers as the sand of the sea. Go down to verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it and from whose face the earth and the heaven fell, fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books are opened. Another book was opened, this is, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades were delivered up, delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Now the book of Revelation shows there's another phase of the kingdom that comes after this. Okay? Revelation 21, let's go to verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and, new, and the first earth had passed away, for there was no more sea. And I, John, also saw the new city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven as, a God, bride, as God from God prepares a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The tabernacle, the feast of tabernacles is a minor foretaste of the coming kingdom of God, which will come in two different phases. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Things are going to change. The world as we've seen it is not going to be here. And after Jesus returns, the millennial reign for a thousand years will be set up. It will be a glorious time. But even that, I'm suspecting, you can't really compare it to what's going to come after that. Okay? That'll probably be, in a sense, a foretaste of what's coming later. Because you notice, no more pain, no more sorrow, etc., which suggests that there's still going to be some of that during the millennium. Okay? Now, for resurrected Christians, that's a whole different matter. <laughs> but for the world, it'll be much better. But it still won't be perfect. It'll be better than anything that's ever been on this earth. And something better is coming. Let's also go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, starting in verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So God's got his throne, shows he's ruling. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree 
were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light for the other sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign for a week and a half. No, forever and ever. This is the second phase of the kingdom of God. First phase being a thousand years, this one will last forever and ever. The holy city which is prepared in heaven will come down to the earth. No more pain. No more suffering. And if you're uh, more than 21 two or three times, aches and various other things that you have to deal with uh, uh, wouldn't be there if you're physical. Of course, we'll be spiritual, so that won't be as applicable. This is the time, Matthew 5, 5, where the meek inherits the earth and, and all things. I mentioned this before, but I want to read it again. Isaiah 9, verse 7, you don't have to go there. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Many of you are aware that we have a booklet in the Continuing Church of God called Mystery of God's Plan. Why did God create anything? Why did God make you? God made what he did so eternity would be better. We see there increases government peace, there will be no end. Now your role in this kingdom is going to be more than just looking at God, which is what uh, some religions teach, profess Christianity. You will be able to give love in a unique way because of all the sufferings that you've gone through in this life and tests and trials you've been through in this life to make eternity better for yourself and everyone else. Everyone else? How many else's? Well, one guy who actually sometimes helps me with editing, he's not with us, doesn't agree with us on this point, but I've looked at all the different estimates of how many human beings have been in the last uh, 6,000 years, and it looks like somewhere between uh, 50 billion and 100 billion, and as one person said, well, it couldn't be. Well, it forgets a lot of people died when they are little, okay? <laughs> all right. So I don't know how many, but do you understand if there's 50 or 100 billion spirit beings, all of which are making eternity better for every single one of you? Can you grasp that? It's beyond. Okay? The kingdom of God is beyond what many people think. It's a more glorious time than people can imagine. And those who are called in this age will have an opportunity to be in it as well as those who will call, be called in the age to come. Now I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is a scripture I will conclude with, by the way. Because this is not just my opinion. In this sermon today, you've heard me quote lots and lots of scriptures. Didn't count how many, but there are certainly a lot. To show you that we just don't make stuff up. It's not just our opinion. Apostle Paul was inspired to write 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, 
nor has it entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed to them them to us through His Spirit. Which is why, again, we have a booklet called Mystery of God's Plan. Why did God create anything? Why did God make you? Going through some mysteries that are revealed in the Bible that people do not understand. And one of the things they don't understand is the good news of the coming kingdom of God. The coming kingdom of God will be a time of love, joy, and everlasting comfort. It will be a fantastic time. The kingdom of God will make for fantastic eternity better than any of you can imagine. Hopefully you all want your part in it. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.